tonight on the How To Hobby podcast, we have a special guest, Captain Ox, a currently flying 777 wide body captain. He serves a major US airline by day and writes an enthralling blog by night. We ask him everything from his scariest moment in the air to date to what he can't go without when he travels. We hope you enjoy this episode. And if you have any questions, concerns, you can always reach out to us at our website, howtohobbypodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the How To Hobby Podcast. I'm your host, joined by my co-host, Sean Bennett tonight. My name's John Power, and we have a special guest joining us this evening. We are honored to welcome somebody I met on a plane flight that I took recently. His name is Captain Ox. At 17, he took his first Cessna 152 solo flight, and he is here tonight to give us all of the background on how you take your passion to the next level. An acting professional, Eric, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, great to, to see you. Of course, we're looking at each other on Zoom, and I know this is a podcast, but it's uh, great to hear from you too. <laughs> yes, well, thank you so much for being willing to come on tonight and and really uh, take this to the next level. Again, we're, we're hobbyists at heart. We love talking about everything that this world has to offer in that world. But uh, this is this is really a rare experience to pick your brain, somebody who's been doing this from a very young age, clearly. I mean, you started at 15, uh, you know, hanging around in, in the in the world up up on on the high. But but what kind of brought you to that? I guess, first and foremost, you know, tell us about so, sort of the humble beginnings of what you were thinking. Uh, I know one of the things I really admire about you is uh, you're a kid at heart. And I could tell that when we met, you're, you're, you like kind of staying with it. And uh, so that's really cool. And I like that energy. I know Sean and I both are trying to do that as well. Stay, stay passionate about living this life. So, so tell us about your early beginnings. And uh, I think that would be a great way to start off, get the, get the listeners to understand who you are. Sure. Well, ask any pilot how they started flying and you'll hear a love story. And I'm no exception. Um, I, from age five, I mean, the earliest memories I have, I dreamed of flying, literally dreamed of flying, floating in the air, flying in the sky, whatever it was. And the highlight of my whole year would be flying on a jet over to California. I live in Phoenix. Uh, flying that one hour flight over to California to see my cousins in the summertime. And I wasn't excited to see my cousins. I was excited to fly an airplane. (laughs) And and I I literally remember, I think it was around age eight or nine, uh, going up to the cockpit of one of those planes and, you know, being in awe of all the switches and dials and stuff and proclaiming to the pilots, I'm going to be an airline pilot. Of course, they (laughs) chuckle and yeah, sure, kid, you know. (laughs) hand you some wings all right kid. Yeah. yeah right yeah i got i'm sure i'm sure i got wings and i'm sure that was my prized position for years you know that's right so yeah and uh and you know i'd, I'd say 90 percent of the pilots that you meet kind of have the same story they've just had their eyes glued to the sky and uh you know from from that age on i was just singularly focused on 
that being my career and come hell or high water, I was going to do whatever it took to get there. Um, and, and really that's what it takes. I mean, if you're talking the level of aviation for airline pilot, it, it does take your singular focus and, and a lot of, a lot of drive and, you know, a lot of means too. I mean, uh, if yeah. you're, if you're paying for your, for yourself, uh, paying for the training yourself and so forth, that's a lot of money you're talking about. So there's a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifice there that goes into it. Well, and I know, so I don't want to, I keep gassing you up, but I, it, it sounds like you have, or it says on the, on your blog, um, that you've, you've flown over 23,000 hours. I mean, that's, that's, you are an expert through and through clearly. And, and with that much experience, you know, that's, that's years and years and years and years piled on. So clearly, I mean, yeah, the, the pedigree is there. And uh, I think what's cool and why we connected is not only are, I think you're unique in the aviation community where you, you have this passion for flying, but also for sharing. So you have this amazing blog, you've written multiple books on aviation and, and we'll dive more into that tonight. But it's, it's really cool to meet somebody who's just that has that much of a passion for not only flying and doing the job, but also sharing. And, and as engineers, Sean and I are both big on, on sharing. We, we, we think it's extremely important to keep growing uh, your community, right? Whether it's a different discipline or a different hobby or a different um, way of thinking about something. These are all things that we try and capture here on the show. So again, it's just an honor. So I guess we'll dive in, Sean, to some of our some of our content tonight. Thanks for kind of bringing us through. I just want to hear a little bit more about these two things that you've sort of talked about, which was at 15, you know, that's a big moment, the hang gliding. And then at 17, how, how you got to those two points in your life that really broke it open. Right. Yeah. Well, again, singular focus. Um, going back, it was actually earlier than that. When I was, uh, when I was 13 years old, I announced to my father, I want to hang glide. And my dad <laughs> kind of chuckling to himself, I think said, son, if you can afford to buy a hang glider, I'll let you hang glide. What he didn't know was I had been saving four years of lawnmower money to buy a hang glider. Smart. And I went out and I bought a hang glider at age 14. And I took lessons uh, at that time. Now they were, it was all ground school lessons. It wasn't in the air yet. And uh, I, I went through the whole shebang. And, uh, and even the, <laughs> the instructors of the hang glider school said, yeah, you're still kind of young here. Can we just hold off? So he made <laughs> me wait another year before I could fly that hang glider. But, you know, um, you know, bl bless my dad's heart. He honored his words. Wow. Um, he had no idea that, <laughs> that I had done this, uh, but I think I impressed him with my focus and he, uh, you know, uh, chewed his nails off, I'm sure, and uh, along with my mother, <laughs> and wow. you know, said said a silent prayer as I launched into the eye, into the sky that that first day when I was 15. But uh, wow. I actually did it. Yeah. Were they there? And, and the, uh, this is kind of cool thing. Uh, 
uh, I just had a, a big birthday bash. I'm not going to say exactly which birthday it was, but <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister found some old um, Super 8 footage of me hang gliding. I was 15 years old flying <laughs> that hang glider. Wow. I'll be darned that, that, that I really did do that. <laughs> it's on video. So <laughs> it's nice and documented. But again, That's yeah, singular focus. So uh, yeah, age 15. And, and I can tell you that that changed my life. I mean, I was hooked. I, I knew that's what I wanted. I mean, even besides the dreaming and everything else that just really solidified it for me. And um, so the next step was to start flight training. And, you know, at that point, my parents are more than happy to get me over into a Cessna and away from that hang glider. <laughs> so they've been yeah. full and they, you know, God bless their souls. They, they did pay for my flight training and I started, um, um, training uh yeah about 16 or 17 probably about 16 is when i first started taking lessons you can you can legally solo at age 16 a cessna or whatever okay. um and you hear so that listeners 17 by the time i soloed though what's that well i'm just saying point that out to the listeners it if anybody's interested in flying at a young age 16 is the the minimum <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. 16. Um, you can solo a glider, I believe at 15, if, if those rules haven't changed. I mean, it's been decades since I've looked at that, but uh, I believe, yeah. So a glider at 15, um, uh, a, uh, yeah, an actual uh, Cessna or whatever at, uh, at 16. And then uh, you can actually get your private pilot license at 17. I believe I got mine at age 18 when I got that. So. Wow. That's it's and, still younger than I would think. I mean, I, it's amazing to think that you could, at the same time, you're, you're driving a car for the first time, you could be flying a, a plane in the air, which I mean, is pretty amazing. I, I definitely agree with you. <laughs> I still want, I, I want to marry the two. I still want to, I dream of flying in a flying car. That's kind oh, of right. My, yeah. Like, like Star Wars. That's, Seems like that's inevitable. We're going that way, right? It is. Uh, yeah. And another good anecdote in, in relation to that. Uh, when, I, when I did turn 16, my, my father said, here's the keys to a new car, but it's going to cost you your hang glider. So, oh. oh dad i can't believe this but sure enough i made the trade and <laughs> he got me out of that hang glider <laughs> oh man well i hope it was a nice car it was it was nice it was a it was a i think a 76 spitfire triumph spitfires convertible oh wow. oh for okay a he was 16 year old kid i mean my gosh it was a dream car really yeah and he knew, it got he me hooked on convertibles so i i always had convertibles ever since then too <laughs> wow when when in the hair you know what it was he he knew that this was the safer bet to keep your hair flowing right. so right. you know get him out of that blanket <laughs> and in a spitfire <laughs> right <laughs> yeah of all things yeah oh man well that's great so so from that point at your you know your turning point of becoming and having your official pilot's license, it's private, right? Correct. Private license is like a driver's license. So you can, okay. you can take people anywhere you want. And, and uh, you just can't do it for, for hire, for commercial hire. And, and you just became the most popular guy in school. <laughs> Everyone was like, get to know Captain Ox. This guy is he's 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 a maniac in the air man it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> right. he's 18 he was, years old he's got it was a... kind of it was kind of separate from the whole 
you know, high school thing at the time and, and, and stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know that many people knew. I certainly took up, you know, close friends and stuff from okay. time to time for sure. Yeah. And well, you're then, a very yeah. humble guy. So that's, uh, <laughs> you're not out there flaunting like, um, like some people do these days, you know, you're not on a, a TikTok doing flying memes and uh, what, are, I don't know, <laughs> what are the kind of crazy TikTok challenges they have with private pilot license, but there's probably right, something right. out there. Oh, I'm sure there's something. Um, uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I got, well, you know, I, I, I write that blog and, uh, and so, but, but, uh, you know, I'm still a, a pilot for major U.S. airlines, so I've, I am a little bit limited. I'm not going to go out doing too, too many crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to share the, you know, the, the joy and the love of aviation. And, and part of what I like to share in the blog also is the, the warts of the industry as well. Mm. You know, the challenges to it, the downsides of it. I mean, a lot of probably a quarter of the demographics of who reads my blog are upcoming kids who dream of aviation, you know, like, what I would have loved to have had at age 15 to get a little bit of focus and, you know, what do I do to go where I want to go? But I want to share with them, Hey, this is, this is a dream job, but it can be a nightmare too. And not everybody's going to make it. And, you know, here's the reality of it. So I, I like to share that on the blog as well. Yeah. That yeah. was one of my favorite parts of the, there I was volume one. So I know John briefly mentioned it, but you've written several books and uh, we actually got one and it's the, there I was volume one. And it's uh -huh. a series of your blog posts and your uh, like uh, guest writers have come on there and they've added stories to that. And my favorite part of that was actually reading through the section where you talk about the negatives because it made everything feel much more real. It wasn't this magical fly in the air. You're actually, this is real life. This is, it has its ups and has its downs. And I just really enjoyed reading that because it made it so much more impressive that you've gotten to where you are and that there are other pilots doing the same thing, knowing how hard it can be to get where you are and to stay where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges, like I'd mentioned before, is money. Uh, I came I came up through the civilian route. I mean, there's certainly the military route, but that's a hit and miss. I mean, you you go to the recruiter and say, hey, I want to be an F-16 pilot. It's like, sure, sign on the dotted line, kid. And you go, well, we're, we're, we're F-16s that slots are filled up. You can go swab the deck for six years. See ya, you yeah. know. So, so that was real hit and miss, and I didn't trust that. So I went the civilian route. My, my, my dad late in later years said, I, I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel to, to bet that you would have made it to the airlines through the civilian route, because at the time that was kind of uh, unheard of. Now I'd say 70, 80% of pilots do come up through the civilian ranks as opposed to being recruited from, uh, from military ranks. Yeah. And, and that is something I have a couple of friends that, uh, have gone that route, which is the military too. Cause I think they're, for some reason, the commercial side likes the background of military. I go figure, I don't know, combat tested and all that, but yeah, my buddy actually just got hired on a, with another major, uh, airline in the U S but smaller, I think he's starting, uh, on shorter, shorter flight paths which so this is something i kind of want to dive into a little bit your blog is so detailed and i love that because that is 
that's like who we are. I mean, we, I go on there and I'm like, man, I could just spend a decent amount of time looking at this <laughs> one slide you put together with all the charts. And oh, uh -huh. so specifically your, I met you right before you were going on the longest flight of the it possible in the US, right? Or in, sorry, in the world right now, right? It, it's the 777 and it's to Delhi. Is that, am I saying that Correct. correctly? Yeah. Yeah. JFK to Delhi. It's one of the world's longest flights. I'm not, not, not sure if it's the world's longest, but it's certainly the longest for our airline. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and so you in the, in the blog dive into kind of the, the world of what can happen. And again, to, to talk about what you were saying or to piggyback onto what you were saying, Sean, it gives you another perspective entirely because there's a, portion in it where you talk about people having a medical emergency on the flight and whether it's related to well <clears throat> overconsumption or something else more equally as serious i guess but but more medically and not based on a substance um yeah those are things that you have to think about but am i me sitting there in the seat i've never had to be like well this person is doing something weird. I better start thinking about diverting or, you know, so it's really cool to see and gain that perspective um, from, from somebody. And, and I appreciate how much detail, because that's a four part uh, blog post, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to, I like to go into it that much. And again, you know, my, my, my mind thought is always, Someone such as you, who's an enthusiast, who but you know for whatever reason didn't take the aviation route, but you're fascinated by it. It's a fascinating subject, all mm -hmm. of aviation. And I know at this level of game, being a, on a triple seven, flying halfway around the world, that's that's fascinating as well. Especially when you open people's eyes up to, hey, what could happen, and what do you got to do about it? You're you're flying at nearly ten miles a minute. The scenery is constantly changing. The decisions are constantly changing. You've got imperfect information and you've got to act on that and make the right decision based on your imperfect information and limited time as to what to do about whatever situation crops up, such as this, this medical that you're talking about. And that was a real incident, by the way, um, that was that had happened on that flight. This this guy had too much to drink okay that's that's pretty common you got 300 people on the plane that's <laughs> a lot open, of average open bar right that's that's there. how it works the, you're, you're a luxury uh yeah a flight a fly, right. flyer so you know and then when they cut them off lots of times they get belligerent well then now you've got a security situation they're not obeying the crew members orders you know uh, then that turned into a medical situation. He passed out. Fortunately, we had a doctor on board. So all these things, it's constantly changing. Your, your options are changing. At, right at this point, we're crossing past uh, Eastern um, Europe into the Middle East. And uh, Eastern Europe's got lots of options. You can dive bomb into wherever, Vienna or some, mm. somewhere, and take care of the situation, whatever it needs. But heading east, you're starting to get into no man's land and, and you know, it, yeah. a, a suitable alternate airport is hours away, possibly. Uh, and you may have a dire situation developed. So, yeah, you're constantly making that decision. What do we do? Where do we go? What are we going to do if this happens? You know? Wow. Well, so I, 
that's that's wonderful. And I, I encourage everyone to go and dive into uh, Eric's blog here. It's it is very much a it's right in line with what we're putting down value packed, high quality. So, you know, we'll, we'll be plugging that throughout the show, but we do want to kind of move in here and continue moving the story along. So you from 17, you get your pilot's license at 18 for private, but then what we kind of want to understand and unravel here is we like to, as hobbyists and, and, you know, talking to professionals understand one of our forms is, uh, what you need. So, so when it comes to on the path to commercial pilot, what do you need besides a plane? Maybe things that aren't as well known, uh, that, that only when you're diving into the more professional side, that's something that you could say, Hey, you need to look into this. You need to consider that. So if there are some things like that, in we, we don't know because we're not professionals in the industry, but you need a plane, you need a, you need a platform, but yeah, what kind of, how you got into then from private to commercial and what that story kind of looked like. Right. Well, again, I was, uh, I was focused on not only becoming a pilot, but becoming an airline pilot. So that's that singular path that we're talking about. Now, if you just want to be a pilot as a hobbyist or enthusiast, there's a million different ways you can go. You can do the hang gliding thing. You can do the gliding thing. You can just get a rating and fly a Cessna around. You don't even have to buy a Cessna. You can just rent it whenever you want to go. Mm. And that's that's what a lot of people do. They'll get their private pilot license, which again is like a driver's license. And then they'll fly their buddies around. Or maybe they'll eventually buy a plane and their you know spouse can go with them on trips or something. As, as opposed to buying a Winnebago, you fly your Cessna somewhere. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of people like to do that. Now, if you're going to take it to the next level and go commercial yeah there's a lot more you got to do um now i was i was blessed with parents who love to spend money on their kids education and i was the last kid to come along uh so fortunately i was almost kind of an only child at that point because my my brothers and sister are all much older than me so um i had i was blessed to have the means Mm. um going back to the money thing it's a lot of money to (laughs) fly an airplane um so i i went uh once i got the uh the the private pilot license um i went to uh, that was about the time i graduated from high school and went to college so then i went to an aviation college um uh, the one i went to is called cochise college it's down uh in the southeast corner of uh arizona and it was it, specifically had an aviation program it had a a runway right on the uh, campus its own fleet of planes and it was considered a community college so you didn't have to pay for the instructor as a community instructor so in in the long run it saved a lot of money you're just paying for uh, what they call the wet rate of the plane (laughs) right community colleges come on oh yeah oh yeah so I, uh, I got a two-year degree there, and during that time, I got all the fl- flight ratings I need. The next step you'd need would be a commercial license, and you'd need an instrument license. Instrument license is a big one. Uh, that's the one where you're flying through clouds on a flight plan and so forth. Um, you, you could just get a commercial license and go crop dust or something, but you're limited to 50 miles, I believe it is, uh, flying 
for compensation with that commercial license until you get the instrument. So if you get the commercial and the instrument, now you're a bona fide commercial pilot, you can do pretty much anything. Um, the next step typically is to get your flight instructor rating uh, because that's really the bread and butter of uh, coming up through the ranks. The first time you can actually set foot in a plane and start making money on a regular basis, teaching other people how to fly. And that's how you build your hours. Uh, and, and getting to the airlines or, or the, uh, the regionals like your friend probably is, it all takes hours. Hours is, hours is the number one you know, uh, milestone for, for whatever uh, experience. They just, they look at your hours and they know how experienced you are, period. So, uh, and then they start looking at the quality of that time. Was it multi-engine? Is it jet time? Is it this and that type of thing? Uh, but yeah, at, the, at that point, once you get that flight instructor rating, now you can start making a living flying, uh, flying airplanes. So at, at that point, really, you've reached a dream. And I, I, and I say this over and over on the blog uh, because I get lots of, lots of kids or lots of people, enthusiasts who, oh, I, I'm not going to be happy flying airplanes until I'm a 777 captain. Well, then you're going to have a miserable life. Because you yeah. may never be a triple seven captain, you know. But what I try and impose to him on the blog is that the very first time you step foot in that plane to take your very first lesson, you're already living your dream. That's that's your dream yeah. to fly an airplane. How many people can do that? You know, I mean, looking around the entire world, you are you are blessed to be where you yeah. are if you can do that and, and and you know and any pretty much anybody can do it you, introductory flights they'll charge you like 20 bucks and you go out for an hour you get to actually control the plane try and fly it in the air and see if it's for you it may may not be but at least you get that experience wow well and you know what i i love that outlook because honestly today i i think about this i have family on the east coast and it's I, I really think what a blessing to be able to travel in the way that we can as quick as we can via the art of aviation. And not only from the engineering that's involved, I, I do have a more intimate knowledge of what goes into making a gas turbine engine, but just, just the idea of being able to get on a plane, like it really is something today that I think we should take and look at and say, wow, like this is not something that everybody can do. And if you can, let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy even even from a passenger perspective. Um, now that may be that's a little off. Clearly, we want to be in the in the seat. We want to be in the pilot seat. But even uh, a, a co-pilot, right? I mean that they're they're still getting the experience. Uh, you, it doesn't. And and we tr again we we talk in the on this and and we encourage people to one be patient about where they're going in life uh, and and the route that they're taking. Sometimes you get put in a position that isn't as ideal as maybe it, your mind. eye. you have, you have it set. I'm going to be there, but you got to enjoy the ride and not get too far ahead of yourselves. And it, it's the same in our, our careers, our fields, you get, sometimes you get put in positions you don't want to be doing because everybody has this idea of I'm going to be a hotshot design engineer for this and that and that. And well, 
sometimes you just you can't do it right out the bat because there's a lot involved and the hot shot stuff takes years and years and years to develop uh the you know the understanding for even how to design something as complex as say an engine uh there i mean and then the, the amount of people that go into doing something like that it's unbelievable diving into the blog uh, when, when did you kind of start feeling the, the pulse, the passion for, for combining writing and your career? Uh, you know, it's interesting because, uh, my, my passion for writing goes back almost as back, far back as my passion for flying. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't realize this until I was going through my mom's baby book after she passed away and she had a little, um, uh, a little thing in there. Uh, I apparently wrote my first novel at age six. It was called uh, Little Froggy and the Golden Transmitter. And it was uh, about <laughs> 10 pages long. It was handwritten, fully illustrated. And <laughs> so wow. I guess I had a penchant for writing even that far back. And uh, pro probably around um, my teen years, I um, really got a passion for a story that turned out to be my codename Dodger uh, Young Adult Spy series that I wrote. Uh, it's a four four mission series. Um, I, I I was thinking, you know, James Bond, he's so cool. He can do all this stuff. He must have started training when he was a kid. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I got this idea for this kid that you know how how do we come up with this and so great I, idea yeah so I, I came up with this uh, character he's a new york street kid his his um, mom had died real young and his dad was assassinated by an, an evil spy when he was 11 so he grew up on the streets in new york so uh turns out this spy this evil spy is after him for some reason so in, in the first book the codename dodger book he matches his street wits against this trained killer. And that sets up sort of a cat and mouse game uh, in the first novel. And then there's kind of a good guy, CIA agent that helps him out and stuff. And then he winds up adopting him. And then that continues the series. And it turned out to be, I'm very proud of this series. It's a fantastic series. I'm going to have to move um, on to that opinion. next. <laughs> What's that? I'm gonna have to move on to that next. Once I finish the the there I was, I've got to move oh, good, on to, yeah. to that because I, I really like those those spy books as well. And I I really wanted to ask you tonight about how you got into writing because uh, your writing is so good. It, it's so much fun to read. It's so well written, and your blogs, your books, it's it's a lot of fun. And I know that you also mentioned a couple of times in some of the excerpts that the story was written years ago and you're just now publishing it. And so it made me think you must have been writing and doing this stuff much earlier in your life before getting to the point where you created the blog. And so I wanted to kind of ask you about your path to when you started writing and then when you decided I wanted to actually start putting this out to the public and create a blog. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with um, timing, with with uh, technology and the industry and so forth. Um, so, so the codename Dodger, I started writing it literally when I came up with the idea. I started coming up with characters and scenes, and I'd write a little bit here and there. And finally, when I got into college age, I really sat down and wrote the first draft of the novel out. Um, 
And so, and then during that time, I'm going to college, I went to the Cochise College and I switched to Arizona State University, finished up with a four-year degree. During that time, I also took writing courses, creative writing courses. I, I got an aeronautical engineering degree knowing that that was my career, but my passion was still there for writing. So I definitely wanted to have that. It's not an official minor, but that's, you know, what I made it kind of got as much writing as I could in there. And I wrote for the school paper and that kind of thing. So I, so I did start doing a lot of um, writing during that time. And, and writing is something, I guess, like aviation, really, it, it takes years and years to hone your craft. You know, you, you really do have to study it hard and practice a lot and, and read and, you know, read and read and read about it first and then write and write and write. Um, and, you know, I'm at the point where I, I um, I'm a columnist for Airways magazine. Saw that. And if they if they call me up and say, hey, we need a we need an article about this subject. I can I, at this point now I can sit down and bang it out without even thinking about it. It's, it's that easy for me now. But that took years to develop that that skill for sure. Wow. Uh, now, as far as the, the flying that that's another thing I wanted to do is I wanted to combine those two because I knew, Hey, aviation is one of the most interesting subjects out there. I think, you know, so writing about it would be a no brainer. Um, the second book uh, I started writing was the last Bush pilots, which is kind of sort of my flagship novel. It, it actually outsells all the other eight books I have printed combined. Wow. <laughs> it's very popular. And it's got fantastic ratings on Amazon. So I'm very proud of it. But that came out of um, my uh, summer flying up in Alaska when I was trying to, uh, this was back when I was about 24 or so. I had graduated. I was trying to build more time again. You're still trying to build time. Um, I wanted to differentiate myself from the other candidates to get to an airline. And Alaska is a big neon sign flashing it at people uh because if, if 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 you got alaska flying experience they know you know how to fly a plane <laughs> <laughs> so i went up there for summer i i, I actually lucked into a, a a job over the phone a buddy of mine recommended me and uh so i got a phone call hey uh you want a job in alaska three days later i was there in alaska <laughs> wow and uh and this was out of juno and it was just such a different world up there. I'd, I'd lived all my life in Phoenix, Arizona, Southeast Desert, Southwest Desert, rather. And here I am in this alien universe with, with gray clouds and rain everywhere and <laughs> fog. And, uh, you know, what's all this white stuff on the top of the mountains, you know? Yeah. Um, it was a whole new world. It was like being transported to planet Pandora. And so, you know, I basically had to learn to sink or swim. But, but the experience is so amazing. The, the life is so rich up there. The wild mm. eccentric characters you meet, the wildlife you run into, the scenery is spectacular. The, and the so natural just, meat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At Joe Rogan, we always, we always got to throw in the, the yeah. elk meat uh, right, memoir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I flew a guy back from the wilderness who'd shot an elk once and he, his, uh, he butchered up the elk and it took the entire cabin of my plane to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to take it. <laughs> serious, <laughs> man. It's weight. Me. Yeah. 
another time I transported uh, three bear cubs um, from the wilderness. Their, their mom had been killed by a poacher. Oh. Uh, they they shot him shot her and and all they did was take her claws as a trophy oh and i left these three uh, bear cubs orphaned there they were too young to fend for themselves so uh game and fish transferred them down to um juno where they were dispersed to zoos around the country and i had the honor of flying that flight i was so glad i did but they stunk like <laughs> garbage cans oh my god <laughs> But but that was part of um, there's a there's a subplot going in the last bush pilots about about the three bear cubs and you know they never found the poacher in real life but in this story they find the pilots find the poacher and they exact yes. poetic justice on good it. It good story. yeah spoiler that's alert. part of why I enjoy writing um, writing as well especially fiction you can you can make the world right <laughs> that's right no that is that is good and and I like that you're weaving your own stories out of your own real world experience. That's just such a, a rich way of, of thing and, and travel, right. In general, we're, we're big. Sean and I are both huge fans of travel. And again, in that same vein of just enjoying what this world has to offer in, in terms of transportation ease. But then additionally, we still have these gems out there to uncover, yeah. you know, we love hiking, we love backpacking and we always, I mean, those are kind of our bread and butter that we talk about and, and, and share with people on, on this show, but, uh, but having, and being able to see the light in somebody else's eyes about what their pat and, and to see, you know, I mean, you clearly have all these great stories. I mean, this is just so awesome. So, um, kind of dovetailing off of that, staying in Alaska, what, what, what was your scariest moment? to date in a plane i'm kind of leading leading you in here but uh i must uh, i think it's it's going to be up there right that's the yeah good guess and and, and <laughs> you know i had mentioned that earlier it's like yeah it's i, 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 I cheated could probably, a little bit probably yeah i could probably come up with several ideas up there but um yeah one of one of uh the actual situation i would say is by far the scariest moment in my aviation career came became kind of the crux of the uh uh of the last pilot uh, last bush pilots book um it's the fictional version but it's very very close to the real version and uh sean you're you're reading uh, there i was volume one that the real stories in that one so yeah, yeah <laughs> you got no, the, up the, on that too the story is um, absolutely fascinating yeah and oh you got through it. Oh, great. yep Good. yep yeah i got through it so yeah. it's i'm really excited to hear live your your talk oh about excellent it. yeah yeah so uh, the 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 name of the 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 story that Sean had read the true true version of it's called the sky fell, and that's also the name of the chapter in the in the last Bush Pilots book. Uh, when you're flying up in Alaska, it, it, so for me uh, it was a single engine Cessna plane, Cessna two hundred seven, seven passenger um, plane, single pilot. What you do is it's it, the the colloquial term is scud run. You fly beneath the clouds visually um, to get to where you got to go. Uh, there's always clouds. There's always weather. There's always fog and rain. So you've got to navigate by the, uh, you know, by the terrain and so forth. And down in Southeast Alaska, you've got thick pine forest, rocky shorelines, 
and freezing cold ocean channel inlets. Those are those are your landing options. <laughs> not, words, not the none. most. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not the most uh, advantageous to bring yeah. her down. Yeah. And so then, so you've got, uh, you're between a rock and a hard place, literally. So you've got, you've got the cloud deck above you, you've got the, the terrain below you, and you're, you're flying beneath that visually from point A to point B, wherever you're going, a logging camp or something like that. Um, and so, so most of the time, you know, you're, you're okay once you get used to that. Now, it took me a while to get used to it, coming from the severe, clear, sunny skies of Arizona. Um, but you got to adapt quick. It's a sink or swim situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this one time, uh, and, and I heard about it, you know, the other bush pilots had told me about it. I'm like, no, that can't be. It's like, no, the, the sky literally falls on you. Uh, and, and basically what's going on is you've got a temperature dew point spread up there of one to two degrees. Uh, the dew point is the temperature at which the sky turns the cloud. It's, it's that simple. The, the, the water vapor is so saturated that it turns the cloud. Uh, so in, the, in that situation, sometimes it'll, it'll uh, get so saturated that the, that the ceiling just starts dive bombing down. So you're right underneath the clouds, maybe a thousand feet above the ground. And now the clouds are lowering and your plane's lowering and you're, you're diving for the ground. You don't have much more way to go. And then in the meantime, the visibility is starting to, to close up on you too. You might've had five miles visibility. Now you got three miles visibility. Now you got one mile visibility. Now it's a half mile visibility and you're slowing back, slowing back. You're keeping, you know, usually typically I'm flying along almost treetop level right along the shoreline, keeping track. And uh, hopefully you know the terrain well enough that you know where the next bend is and so forth. But things are coming out of the fog at you quick. Yeah. But, but that that sky literally just dropped on me, and it scared the bejesus out of me. And I was flying uh, a group of um, Indians, or Tlingit Indians, up there to one of their uh, uh, one of their towns, and I you know, I was getting tense and slowing down and just, you know, getting really nervous. And to this day, I don't know if this guy sensed my nervousness or if he was just completely clueless. But the guy sitting next to me in the co-pilot seat, another Indian, he looks down the window, and he says, yeah, my family hunts down there. And it just shocked me out of my state of pending panic. I realized this guy is so at home here in Southeast Alaska. He doesn't even realize there's a threat out there. Mm. And if he's at, if he's at home, then what about me? You know? And it just became this kind of ah, revelation. You know? Wow. And, and I felt like at that point I became a Jedi, <laughs> you know, everything calmed down. Jedi of the air. I, yeah. <laughs> and it just the fear washed away and I realized that you know I was in charge here and I'm going to do it right and and I got through that and eventually the clouds started lifting and the fog started lifting and we got through that thing but but again to this day I don't know if he looked over me like this guy's about to lose it and said something out of the blue I don't know what I I, I suspect he had no clue he's just 
a guy right at home in this environment. And so if he could be at home in this environment, what about me? So it was a really watershed moment in my life. I mean, I, I um, learned ab ob obviously to have a healthy respect for mother nature, not, not to fear it, but to respect it. Yeah. And that, that really, you know, solidified it for me. And I, I took that lesson for the rest of my life there. That's, that's so great. And I think, I think there's a, I'm glad you got your, you constructed your lightsaber in the, in the cockpit there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was happening in real time. He actually handed it over. He said, yes. And right. this is my saber for you, young, right. young Padawan. You are now young a Jedi. <laughs> um, so, well, thanks for sharing. That's an absolutely yeah. wonderful story. And I mean, what a great way to look at, I mean, I, to, to, to finish it off with, with that kind of a metaphor, as far as respecting and understanding mother nature is just as important as, and, and developing that healthy fear. I mean, I, I've done a lot of surfing in my life in bigger waves. And it's that same idea where a lot of people are so afraid to let the wave, the power of the wave take them that they'll never get up on a bigger wave because mm. it's, it's scary to get up on a mountain of a wave and, and not be sure you, you can't get there unless you take falls. Really? I mean, you don't know if you're going to, the first time you're dropping in on a 13 foot face, you don't know if you're going to fall or maybe you're going to go the wrong direction, or maybe you're going to make it. And it's the best experience of your life. But, um, you know, it's, it's very similar to this kind of thought and, uh, methodology behind it. So I just, I love that again, it's, it, this is the common thread between, between everybody who's understood dealing with this beautiful world we live in so i think now coming out of this uh sean has a couple questions he wants to ask you we've been talking about in the last um couple episodes we've talked about traveling a number of times we've also talked about some of our hacks for going into the world of the airport the scary world of the airport so Sean has a couple things he wants to ask you on behalf of our, our listening community and uh, see what your perspective is on them. So, yeah. Yeah. And I also just wanted to thank you for, for those stories of Alaska and the bush pilots. I think that um, one of the lessons that I took away from your fictional stories of the, like having an in-air emergency or the, the real stories of you fighting with weather in Alaska is that, you have to learn stress inoculation to to be good at what you want to be doing, especially as a pilot. You have to be able to have everything failing and still be able to look through the noise and try and find a way and find a solution. So I think that that is a good lesson to any of our listeners out there who are thinking about going down this path is that you have to put yourself in these situations where things might go wrong and you have to get yourself used to trying to find those solutions in those high stress environments. So I just think it's absolutely amazing that you were able to have the sky fall and still be able to make it out. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I'm, as I'm glad saying, too. <laughs> I, <laughs> we're glad to be sitting here with you tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, that's very well put too, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good way to explain it, to, 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 to shut out the noise and focus on the task at hand. Very, yeah, exactly. And then that's really what you're doing in the cockpit, especially when, when it hits the fan, you know? Yep, exactly. Um, and so now, 
that stress inoculation, uh, we can apply that also to people who maybe aren't as interested in being behind the, the or in the cockpit, but are just traveling. Traveling is an incredibly stressful thing, especially if you're traveling with kids or family. And so as somebody who is versed in the world of the airport and, and going through that, our big question was, as a pilot, what is one thing that you do when you're traveling that you wish everybody knew and it would just make everyone's lives easier? Yeah, good question, because the rules are always changing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the hard part. Um, and uh, gosh, I wish I knew the, the website off the top of my head. I think it's FAA.gov maybe, but or TSA.gov. You can go there and they'll they'll show you exactly what you can bring and can't bring. And that's that's really the the crux of it all is <laughs> what what you're bringing through those scanners and they, mm. you know people bring accidentally bring knives they accidentally bring their guns they you know ladies leave a little pistol in their purse that their husband gave them oh they forgot all about that yeah. well that's the wrong time to find out <laughs> now most most people won't have that issue but uh and there are going to be some exemptions uh, the the big deal is the right now anyway is the the limit on liquid so it's three and a half ounces this is we're talking us of course domestic us um so you know get everything travel size your your shampoos your perfumes everything as long as it's under three and a half ounces you're good to go breaks my heart to see all these beautiful perfumes that they got to dump there at the security checkpoint that i'm sure find mm. their way into other people's hands at the end of the day <laughs> yeah that's some, that's, that's some uh, pricey yeah, so stuff either, yeah so if you're if if you're gonna have if it's more than three and a half ounces you better check it as check luggage but uh, i do my best to not check luggage <laughs> it's just the law of averages you're eventually going to lose one sometime yeah so that, that would be my my big thing and then there are exemptions such as like uh you know, formula for your baby and stuff. They're not going to limit it to three and a half ounces and that kind of thing. So I'd say that probably. Perfect. Yeah, so I think get, that- Get your rules. Get your rules straight. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Because you're right, they do change. And uh, I recently got TSA pre-checked and that's the number one thing that I recommend to everybody because uh, who can get it and who can pass the background check. Uh, because it's it's just made my life so much easier not having to take my laptop out not having to take my shoes off and like I can the line's always shorter for security because that's always the most stressful part for me especially flying out of San Diego because our airport can get kind of hectic sometimes especially around the holiday season and so I'm always there you know two two and a half hours before my flight's supposed to take off because I don't want to deal with that stress but once I got TSA pre-check it you just blow right through the line. It's it's absolutely crazy how much faster it is. So I I really like it. And I my my dad's got it, my mom got it, my brother got it, like everybody in my family's got it because I told them how fantastic it was. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many tips and tricks out there. You're you know, you you brought up a point I thought of too, two to three hours before your flight, you get there. Um another thing to keep in mind if you have a connecting flight. Don't save five bucks by getting the one that connects 35 minutes after your arrival because you're going to miss that flight. You need to spend the extra five or 50 bucks to get the one that's two hours away from your <laughs> arrival flight because you'll need all of that time to get there, even if your flight's on time. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of people get 
stuck in the middle of the airport trying to get their connection. Oh, well, I had 50 minutes on the connection. Well, yeah, that was before your flight was 20 minutes late, you know, and it's on the other side of the airport from, from your connecting flight. So, yeah, I got really yeah. lucky with that flying back. Uh, I recently did a trip up to Washington State where I took an outdoor hunting class. And coming back from that, I had one of those things where I think it was like 45 minutes, maybe 40 minutes in between connecting flights. And I was so stressed because I'm the guy that gets to the airport three hours before the flight. And I'm stressing. And it was my only option to come back from Spokane. And I, I get off the plane and I'm hauling because uh, it was in Portland. It was in Portland. So I'm hauling, trying to get to the other side because, of course, the gates are on exact opposite ends of the airport. Now yeah. you're running. <laughs> and I, I ended up actually getting lucky that the flight had issues. <laughs> they ended up having to do uh, maintenance on the plane on the tarmac. And so I ended up actually waiting around for about an hour. But I, it was the most stressed I'd been traveling in many, many years. I can imagine. <laughs> Get that cardio in. That's right. It's the best time. <laughs> Those best moving right. sidewalks. Go, OJ. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So hey, um, uh, before we go uh, on, I want I want to go back. You'd asked me a question. We got sidetracked. I never answered it. You asked me about, you know, the the, the evolution of my my um, getting into the books and the blog and stuff. And I'll I'll make it brief here, but. Um, yeah, so basically, so I wrote the second book, The Last Bush Pilots. Now, this was in the middle, mid 90s, or maybe early 90s, because uh, I'd flown up in Alaska in 87. So I took about five years to write that. I workshopped it with other writers and so forth, um, spent a lot of time on it. And then I started um, shopping for an agent. And at that time, the, the traditional way to get, you know, a, a book published was was still the traditional way it was through through you'd get an agent and then an agent would sell it to a publishing house and then you do it that way it's literally ten thousand to one that a that a new writer would get a book published so the odds are way against you but i had i had pretty good luck i had some nibbles here and there i got an agent here and there with both books actually codenamed dodger and, and the last bush pilots uh but nothing ever took off so uh, I let that kind of go by the wayside and then, you know, kind of concentrated on my flying career and then, you know, turn of the century comes and the internet comes along and the, and blogging comes along and all this stuff. And I came to realize this blogging is the perfect way to, to get my stories out there uh, because I had all these stories pent up, just like the, the Skyfell story, you know, there's, there's dozens of other ones out there that I wanted to tell. So that's, that's where the blog came out. Uh, called Adventures of Cap and Ox. Uh, and it, it just started by me wanting to tell the stories that I'd had over, over the course of my, you know, 20 years at that time, maybe, uh, career. Uh, and then it kind of branched out into all things aviation, and I'd have, you know, other bloggers come on. And it, it um, right away got a, got a following. Uh, there was a big aviation enthusiast, uh, you know, online presence there for that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, Amazon comes along and, and the age of the indie author comes along. Um, they've got their own setup where you can be your own publisher. So I realized I can go straight to Amazon and um, publish my book directly with them. Um, I'm considered the publishing house. They're just the printer. And as long as my format um, 
works with with their parameters and it's you know not pornographic or whatever um they're they're willing to publish it on their site so i started um publishing the books directly with amazon and you know kind of marketing it through the blog and so forth too uh and that that turned out to be the way i've gone with all all nine of my books is just straight through there and now they're available in print ebook or audiobook wow and, uh, yeah Hot it's hip yeah it's i did not know that do. yeah and you had you know you have full artistic control i mean i uh, my uh, my um, stepson designed the cover of the last bush pilots you know and so his artwork's on there and that kind of thing so wow. uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do yeah. So, uh, and, you know, of course they're the 800 pound gorilla of the uh, publishing industry anymore, you know? So, uh, yeah, so that's a, that's another way to go. And, and, uh, and for those of you that are interested in blogging too, I mean, blogging, you know, um, is, is, is short for web blog and it just is an online journal. It's whatever you want it to be. So you, you know, if you're interested in needlepoint, you start writing about needlepoint, you know, whatever, but, but whatever you write about, build it and they will come. The, I guarantee you're going to get an audience. So whatever you're passionate about, start blogging. It's a great way to, to meet up with, with that kind of community, whatever the subject is. Yeah. We're, we're going to try and implement, I, we've already been talking about on our site, having more of a blog presence of articles that, because it, it's just kind of inevitable when you start unlocking the creative freedom of having an online form. We like the podcast because it's, it's a discussion in depth in real time. We'll never experience this in this way again, right? It's captured forever and this will be special for us, but, but the blogging, I mean, it kind of, it, it almost goes hand in hand where it's this, it's the next step for putting the fine point pen to, to paper on something you, you love. And so we, I mean, we have all of these various things that we love and we've expressed through this podcast median, but I think from here, we're going to start putting, I mean, I now have some recipe ideas. We do a lot of cooking, oh. uh, Sean and I, and so we're going to nice. be putting up hacks and various things on our website. So yeah, we kind of, we're, we're feeling the, uh, the push to, to head in that direction as well. So it's great to talk. Yeah. Thanks for adding that. I mean, that's, that's so, so good to know. And I, well, think yeah, I figured, I mean, with the subject of your podcast, I mean, that, that seems like a natural outlet for anybody, whatever their hobby happens to be blog is a perfect way to go. And if you don't want to do the blogging, you can certainly go up and, you know, search for blogs like that and you'll find a million of them, you know, yeah. and pick, pick the one, two, three, ten that you like best, you know? Yeah. It's definitely a very cool world we live in with the with the internet and I mean, you know, good and bad, it's, it's here to stay. So I'm going to take the good, let go of the bad. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, reminds me one of the, one of the greatest features of the blog, greatest blessings I've had with the blog is meeting people around the world and uh, you know, going full circle back to what we were talking about, the India posts there um, somewhere, somewhere in there, I think number th the third one in there, um, I, I met a kid who started reading my blog when he was a teenager, and now he's a pilot for Indigo, one of the airlines out there, is an Airbus pilot, and that was my first layover there in Delhi. He came out, picked me up, and we had lunch together. It was the first time I'd ever met him in person. 
but wow. I talked to him for years on the blog. It was very cool. Yeah. Oh, I've been this... able to do that elsewhere too, you know, in London and that kind of thing. Meet meet other people who've been reading my blog forever, and now all of a sudden I'm in their city. So it's pretty cool, cool thing to awesome. do. Yeah. Well, and and so you know, we're kind of in the infancy of our starting our our process with that, but you know, we we kind of have the same. Sharing is is just such an, a beautiful thing. So, yeah, I mean, meeting people and being able to share the knowledge that that you have garnered over a, a long career that must be so sweet and and a huge blessing i mean I, just to be able to share a passion with somebody that is younger than than we are now that's man what what an amazing thing so in in that coming out of that um where now captain do you see your passion for flying and the blog taking you next that's a good question. Uh, you know, my um, my time is waning. You have an age 65 retirement rule. <laughs> and, oh. you know, I'm within striking distance of that uh, that age. So, uh, yeah, I've got a, a I, I, I'm kind of looking ahead, wondering what I'm going to do now. Now you can go do other things. You can fly smaller planes or whatever. I could go back to Alaska if I wanted, <laughs> but I don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my, um, my passion for aviation, you know, has been, a, been a blessing, uh, you know, like is either Confucius or Mark Twain said, uh, find the job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. You know, I've never had to work a day in my life. <laughs> Oh, but wonderful. after, uh, yeah, after I retire, uh, I'll probably for sure at least keep my hand in it by getting my instructor license again and uh, flight instructing again, probably, yeah, going full circle back to where I started, you know? Wow. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I kind of always had a dream in the back of my head to have a cabin on a lake with a float plane parked in the backyard. So yes. <laughs> that might happen too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds amazing to me. Well, uh, as we're kind of coming to a close here, uh, one, thank you again for, for taking the time tonight. It really means a lot to both Sean and I, and I'm sure our listeners um, that are, that are, we do have listeners around the world as well. We, I'm sure they've seen and heard uh, and felt uh, a, a joy in, in the way that you've lived your life. And, and so it's, it's appreciated that you've shared that with us tonight. Um, we want you to be able to tell now where, where people can find you, plug your, plug your website, plug your, your blog, your, your various social media. So what, what do you want people to, to take away tonight as we kind of close it down uh, regarding where they can find you? Yeah, certainly. So um, the website's real easy, capanox.com, C-A-P-N-A-U-X.com. And then uh, my handle on just about every uh, social media out there is Capanox as well. You can find that on Twitter and and Instagram, um, and that and and even Facebook. And then um, if you go to Amazon looking for the books, uh, Amazon.com/author/EricOxier, or just type in my name Eric Oxier in the search bar and it'll come up. And I have a page there with all my books on that too. And again, they're they're all available in. Uh, ebook, uh, print and audio book. And I actually narrated the uh, Codename Dodger series 
myself and enjoyed uh, having a lot of fun doing that. So that's great. That's a special one to me. <laughs> well, and, and we will definitely link all of these in the show notes for this episode so that you guys can have them at the, the tip of your fingertips. And, and that way you can find all of this. We'll link the code name Dodger since that one's such a, so close to your heart. Uh, the last Bush pilot, the blog and, and get, get, get our listeners educated in the world of aviation. Like we, we could never provide. So that's, that's great. So our last, on, as we close it out here, our last question for you is, um, you know, we always want to provide some, some value to the listeners, uh, kind of close it out with some, some words of wisdom. You've already provided a ton, but if you could go back to that 15 year old hang gliding maniac, what would you say to him today? Don't change nothing. Follow your dream. Dream your wildest dream, then make it happen. Man, you heard it here first. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Eric, thank you for coming. Captain Oxier, the man, the myth, the legend. Man, take care. Sean, thank you for, for coming up with some amazingly rich questions for our man here tonight. And... Uh, it's just been a real pleasure uh, sharing this time with both of you guys. So uh, listeners, we hope you enjoyed and we'll be coming back to you next time with more content that we, we know you'll enjoy and love. But until then, you guys have a great night. Thank you for listening to another episode of the How To Hobby Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give us a like and or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot and take care.